You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter, and we are still going strong with our summer of sexy. Earlier on, we had uh, Wendy Sturgar, and she was chatting with us about her book, Sex That Works, and then we had Dr. Chavez on, who was talking to us more about sexuality. And so since you guys had a lot of questions um, for me and some of my guests, I, def- I decided to, to invite on a nice, eclectic panel um, of some experts that are going to be answering those questions with me, because I have a ton of questions, and you have a ton of questions, and you've sent some of them uh, to me. So without further ado, let's kick off this Sexperts panel. First up, I have Dr. Sherry Ross. She is a women's health expert, OBGYN, and she has a new book out called Sheology, The Definitive Guide to Women's Intimate Health, period. Hi, yes. Dr. Sherry. How are you? Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. I love the book. The cover is nice, lovely, and I'm so excited to chat with you. We're going to be chatting about some lady parts. Love it. You're like the, the lady part expert. I feel so. <laughs> Vagina crusader, someone said I was. So. I like that. Interesting. Okay, now to contrast that, I have uh, David J. Lay. He's a PhD, a clinical psychologist, and his book is called Ethical Porn for Dicks, A Man's Guide to Responsible Viewing. Hi, David. Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. You know, I wrote that book for all those guys named Richard out there who watch porn. (laughs) I love it. Are you a big porn person? Uh, no, you know, I, I wrote the book because I see so many men in my practice and so many uh, men around the world, frankly, who are uh, struggling with uh, problems related to pornography use, um, and they don't know how to navigate the uh, the chasm between the panic um, and what is a reasonable kind of responsible level of use. Interesting. And we also have on today, back on the show, Wendy Sturgar. She's the founder of Good Clean Love, and her new book is called Sex That Works, An Intimate Guide to Awakening Your Erotic Life. Hi, Wendy. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me. Oh, I love that sexy radio voice. <laughs> me trying not to get sick like you. I know. Ugh, this sinus thing is killing me. Okay, so I have some questions that I uh, had some of my listeners and some of my friends submit. I'm going to throw a couple of them at each of you, um, and then I'm, a few of them I'll have you all weigh in on. So the first one, uh, the first question comes in. It says, uh, "It caught. I caught my boyfriend watching a lot of porn lately. Oh, David, this one's right up your alley. I've caught my boyfriend <laughs> watching a lot of porn lately. I'm concerned it may be because we're not having enough sex. Should I be giving it up to him more often? Do you think guys have a porn problem, David? Well, you know, when someone says that they caught their per- their partner masturbating, um, uh, that always implies implies something that you know the the person views masturbation as something that takes away from the relationship, perhaps. Um, in these kinds of situations, you know, I think we need to look at. The men use pornography and masturbation to compensate for um, not getting the kind of sex or in some cases the frequency of sex that they really kind of might want in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's not that, the, that this girl sh- or that this person should, quote, give it up. And, and that kind of makes me a little sad. You know, sex isn't property. But instead, what really needs to happen here is this couple needs to sit down and talk about what kind of sex they want and how frequently they want to have sex. Um, and maybe if she does it in a non-adversarial way, her boyfriend can be honest with her about his needs. 
I don't like porn. Is that normal? You know, porn is just fantasy, and porn is fantasy made external. And and one of the things that is challenging with porn is that we now get to see other people's fantasy. We get to see what turns other people on. And there are things that turn other people on that don't turn us on. You know, there's there's lots of clown porn out there, yeah. and I just have zero interest in clowns. Um, <laughs> But I think you know what what internet porn does for us is it lets us now start to learn about the diversity of sexual interest out there and learn that there are lots and lots of different kinds of interest um, that people have, and that we can be accepting of that while still taking a responsible uh, stance around our sexuality, what we like, and what we want to bring into our bed. If you don't like porn, you don't have to bring that into your bedroom. If you do like porn, you can start to negotiate and talk about how to make it a part of your relationship. Okay. I was actually curious how often they were having sex. Yeah. Because that was, you know, what if it was every day? Yeah. You know, then that might answer the question. So then, does he just have too heavy of a sex drive? Maybe. Well, you know, recent research actually found that um, frequency of masturbation is predicted by level of sexual satisfaction. So if if they're having sex every day, but he wants to have sex twice a day, then he probably would be masturbating to compensate. But if he's comfortable having sex once a week and they're having sex once a week, then it's unlikely he's going to masturbate. And I, I, again, I think the issue here is less about the frequency and more about the degree to which that relative frequency matches your desires in negotiation with your partner's desires. Is it possible to over-masturbate, Dr. Sherry? No, but, you know, I don't think so. I would say absolutely not. But my question here is, you're using masturbation with porn. I mean, you can masturbate without porn. Yeah. Uh, That's my question because I don't think masturbation at all. I'm all for masturbation, and I think it's such a great tool for women, and they're explaining to their partners what they like. But I don't think you have to masturbate to porn. That was what uh, you were putting porn with masturbation, and I don't. I think they can be separate. They often are with women. With men, roughly ninety to ninety-five percent of porn use is accompanied by by masturbation. And now we don't know what that's doing. We don't know if that is potentially, you know, limiting or restricting men's sexual imagination or not. Um, well, I, it I, is one of those kind of gray Jack? areas. Is yeah, this go a good it. thing or a bad thing? Go for it, Wendy. You know, um, I actually have done a lot of research on this, although I don't have a book about it. Um, uh, but I do have an interesting take on the idea of fantasy and porn. One thing I think is that, you know, a lot of pornography is so organ-related that there's actually very little fantasy in it, at least the pornography that I've seen and heard about online. You know, there was a time in the 70s where pornography was much more story-driven, and now we call that, I think, female porn. So, you know, I don't know, but I do know that I've read and and spoken to a lot of people uh, who have told me that, you know, in terms of this over-masturbating, you know, I think you can, like, sort of get into a habitual thing where you become, in some ways, desensitized to your partner, 
you know, and so I, I think that there's a healthy balance between yeah. masturbation and fantasy and pornography, even if you find the kind that you like, you know, that turns you on. Um, but I think that, especially when it comes to internet pornography, um, it can be a way to escape real sexual dialogue and real, like, the ability to be sexually intimate. So I think that should at least just be mentioned in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at least in this case, it really, you know, like you mentioned, Dr. Sherry, it, it comes down to how often they're having sex. And I think that conversation, that dialogue needs to happen within this relationship. So this next question says, I love my boyfriend, but but I've never actually had an orgasm with him. We've dated for six months, and I want to know, should I hang in there to give him a shot? I'd hate to commit to a future of bad sex. What do you think, Dr. Yeah. Sherry? Well, I Is would... she committing to a future of bad sex by staying with him? Well, definitely. There's a problem in their communication, and I would wonder if she's ever had an orgasm. Yeah. That would be my first question to this woman because, you know, you never want to leave it onto your partner to make you have Solely an orgasm. responsible right? for that, yeah. And I think this is a problem that women have who aren't so vagina-friendly and feel comfortable with their vaginas and their clitoris and are allowing themselves to learn their body and learn what gives them pleasure and so that they can give their partner the roadmap because I think this woman is not communicating well enough. Yeah. And so the first thing I would want to know from her is if, in fact, she's talked to him about it and told him what she likes and, and how she likes it. Um, so th- this this gal definitely could have a problem. Definitely. Do you think sex. that there's a way to help? So in, in, in if this is like a common situation, let's say a girl has had an orgasm before, but now she's in a relationship with a guy who hasn't. Um, been able to help her climax mm-hmm. is there are there ways that they can open up that conversation to kind of achieve that definitely and I think that what she should really do with him is sit down and maybe when they're not in bed and not naked and just talk about you know things that she likes in bed and then she can definitely show him what feels good to her and and not be shameful to have that conversation and because I think this is really what ends up happening is a lot of women who are forthright and very take charge in bed can be perceived as, you know, not being the good girl, right. not being someone that they want to marry, maybe being too hypersexual. Um, and I think this is a real downfall that women really have to just be equal partners in bed mm-hmm. and and show their partners what they like from the beginning. And I think both people need to not be afraid of of having that sexual issue. I mean, whether it's not orgasming or just whatever sexual dysfunction issue you're having in bed, like you shouldn't be afraid to have that conversation because then that only fosters resentment within the relationship. Exactly. Okay. This next one says I was dating a really douchey guy. And a week after I finally broke up with him, I found (laughs) out he was seeing all these other girls while we were together. Do all guys cheat? And why do they feel the need to spread their seed? Okay. I want everybody to weigh in on this one. David, do you think guys have a need to, spread their seed um you know i think we're not teaching men how to be gentlemen we're not teaching young men how to 
identify what their sexual needs are and then negotiate and discuss that. If you're a guy who has zero interest in being monogamous, then you shouldn't be out there pretending to be monogamous. Um, it's not that all men are like this, but that we're not helping the men that are like this figure out how to be that way responsibly. Wendy, do you think mm-hmm. a couple can recover from cheating? Um, I think that um, that's, I mean, I, I think, yes, that's possible, but I think it's ex- really challenging. And um, I also think that we're kind of all sort of deeply comfortable in, in this conversation about talking about sex, and I think that most people are not. And so um, I think that, you know, this presumption that we would like to make that we can just you know, tell people, well, talk to your partner about that or share what you like, I think is a really huge challenge for people, really huge, especially young people. Yeah. It's, and so I, I think infidelity is a symptom of something deeper, like what the other people were saying about not really communicating your relationship. And it often is even, I mean, it's, it doesn't start with sex. It starts with all kinds of self-disclosure. And so it's not that we're just not teaching men or women how to sort of be faithful or or true in a, in a, a sexual sense. It's that, you know, our culture is almost anti-relationship and in a million ways. And so partly I think that issues like this is a manifestation of just learning how to actually relate in a way that's honest and true and authentic. Yeah. And then the last place it comes out is sexually, and then and then people run for the hills because that's such a deep sort of betrayal. A lot of people experience that as a very, very deep betrayal. I don't think it's irretrievable. I myself recovered from that, and so I know it's possible personally. Um, but um, But it takes a lot of work, and so people have to be willing to work on that relationship. And that, I think, is where people have the biggest issues is that they don't necessarily have the skills or know how to even get the skills to work on relationships. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Sherry, I want you to take this next one. It says, I'm afraid of my vagina. I don't like to masturbate, and I really don't like letting guys go down there during sex. Um, I feel like this isn't normal. Is right. it is it normal? Well, you know, so a lot of people are afraid of their vaginas. Vaginas can be very scary places to go. And I think it's... For both guys and girls. For both genders, for sure. And I think, you know, in part, if you knew that 65% of women never use the word vagina, they use their code names, and that almost half women don't think their vaginas are normal. So mm. if they don't think their vagina is normal... You know, they're not going to really want to explore that area and nor will they want to learn about it and be sexual with it or allow their partners to give them oral sex. So I think it's it's a lesson that women have to not be afraid of their vaginas and to really embrace them and know it's very important part of their bodies. It's a part of their sexuality. It's, it's, you know, in part I'm creating a vagina revolution because women should not feel shamed about any part of their body and especially their vaginas. And I think it's been partly because of porn's influence and that one in five women are comparing their vaginas to Jenna Jameson's and feeling as though they're not normal or not sexy. 
So I think it really speaks to what's happening in our culture. Um, and, and my ultimate goal is to empower young women to really value their vaginas and not feel that it's anything to be ashamed of. And in valuing their vaginas, it's valuing their sexuality and their what brings them pleasure and to really not have any shame when it comes to their body at all. So do you think masturbation helps build that self-esteem or can you build that with a partner? Well, I'm, I'm all for masturbation. I think it's such an important skill that women should learn and it's beginning, it's usually your first sexual experiment, uh, you know, first sexual experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's your orgasm should come from your own masturbation. And almost 90% of men and women are masturbating. So we know it is healthy. It's completely normal. And it's important to be able to tell your partner what you like. It's just, yeah, I feel like that's a way to kind of learn your body and then you're able to better articulate that to your partner. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay, this next one I want to throw at you, David. It says, do you think watching porn together helps or hurts a relationship? You know, that's a, a very interesting question because the you know there's a lot of concern about uh, what is the impact that pornography use has on relationships. And um, oftentimes people are concerned that pornography is damaging to relationships. But all relationships are not the same. Some relationships actually are improved by uh, pornography. Couples who watch pornography together have better relationships. Oftentimes because they are having sex more, because they're communicating more about sex, they're talking more with each other about what what each other likes, and they're negotiating it. The only kind of pornography viewing that has a negative impact on relationships is when the pornography is watched in secret because what that means is that this is a couple that isn't able to talk about sex. They're not able to negotiate or communicate. As Sherry keeps saying, the the need to have a dialogue around sexual needs is ultimately the way to have a healthy sexual relationship. Pornography can be one piece of that. Having a couple watch pornography together is oftentimes one of the things that many sex therapists like myself do to help couples start to learn about the wide world of sexuality and then start communicating with each other about what turns them on. Is there a mm-hmm. certain type of porn that you think people, that couples should be watching? Being that, you know, I think Dr. Sherry made a great example of like Jenna Jameson and there is such a, um, you know, an idealistic figure in in these porn flicks and you know it does seem very unattainable and the way that they climax is so over exaggerated um you know is there and fake yeah and and fake it's not realistic Mm -hmm. and that's not how people are actually having sex so david do you think that there is a a specific type of porn that more couples are more comfortable watching or which what type of porn do you play for your clients uh well i don't know that I've ever watched porn or played porn with or, a client. Sorry, encourage, but, <laughs> encourage them to watch. Wow. You're really hands-on. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the, I talk about this in my book, Ethical Porn for Dicks, and I, and I give guys some guidance on how to um, introduce their girlfriends or wives to pornography and, and how to ease them into this. You know, yeah, it's not the case that you should jump in and be showing your girlfriend or wife, you know, ass to mouth gangbang videos because right, that's going right, to scare right. everybody. Um, but uh, you know, there is a wide range of pornography out there. And one of the things I like to talk about is that there is feminist, ethical, independent porn out there. Shine Louise Houston with Pink and White Productions is doing some really extraordinary ethical, responsible stuff that is uh, sensuous, that is um, hot and sexy, where uh, the people are doing and 
having the kind of sex that they want to have. I think that is ultimately one of the best ways to introduce um, couples into uh, into this kind of erotic viewing because you're watching people who are doing what they love and what, what really turns them on, and then mm-hmm. the couple gets to talk about what turns them on. Yeah. Wendy, I want to throw this next one at you. It says, I feel like me and my boyfriend are on different levels sexually. I'm a little more adventurous and he's a little more conservative. Should I push him to be more adventurous or am I too kinky? Mm. Um, you know, I think that there's this spectrum of inhibition and, you know, of, of being disinhibited to being inhibited that we all kind of live someplace on. And I think that the movement there, I mean, I think that be a couple where one is more adventurous and one is more conservative is a pretty frequent thing that happens. It's like a, a opposite attraction thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that what happens over time and with dialogue and, and uh, patience is that maybe the adventurous person moves a little bit more closer to center, you know, less, maybe slightly less adventurous, and the other person moves a little bit more towards it, you know, so you meet, right? That's where you meet. And I, you know, I don't know if anybody can force anybody to do anything, frankly. And I certainly don't know that that works sexually. Um, but I think that you can sort of create an environment in which you become curious together, like what David was talking about, showing different kinds of pornography of real people enjoying sex in a lot of different ways. And yeah. um, and so that might be kind of the perfect thing where, you know, you invite somebody into wondering about something different. I think that's really different than thinking you can make somebody want to do something else. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Sherry, I want you to take this next one. This one's actually from a guy, and I feel like this is a really common question. Um, He writes, I've come to accept that when a girl is on her period, you don't have sex with her. But recently, I was going to hook up with a girl when she told me she was on her period. I was a little weirded out, so we didn't do anything. But can a girl really have sex while she's on her period? Absolutely. And in fact, a lot of women prefer to have sex on their period because it's less likely that you can get pregnant, number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little messy, but the menstrual cups have helped that process. They're like the diva cups, and they collect the blood. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of women will tell you that their orgasms are better when they're on their period because there's more blood flow to the uterus and the cervix. Ah. So it's kind of a win-win for many if you can... If you don't mind the blood, but um, <laughs> it's it's actually uh, a good time to experiment. Actually, if you're if you're curious, even with masturbation during a period to see if your organs okay, so it's not off the table, not at all. I have another question related to the vagina that's not on the list, but that I am curious about because another thing I hear from a lot of guys is they don't want to they don't want to sleep with the girl that's had too much sex because they think she's quote unquote loose. Wow. So is that is that <laughs> possible? I mean, can you really be loose down there? Well, certainly there are things that make the vagina a little more enlarged, but childbirth is going to be at the top of the list. Yeah. Now, it's true that if you're sleeping with someone who's had one partner, the vaginal entrance is going to be a lot more tighter. Mm -hmm. Um, Although, if she's with someone with a large penis, and it's only been one partner, it could be that that opening might be a little larger. But it's it would be very surprising to 
pass that myth around because I, I would definitely say unless they've had kids, you're not really going to notice an enlarged vagina. Okay. Um, this next one, I think I kind of want everybody to sprinkle in on. Um, it says, why is it okay for girls to hook up and make out with other girls? But when a guy tries something with another guy, he immediately and indefinitely is gay. What do you think, David? You know, I think the um, there's so much slut shaming that goes on, whether right. it's about the, the tightness um, of a woman's genitals, the size of a man's penis. Um, uh, or, or whether a man is bisexual, you know, bisexuality is really the new frontier. We, you know, whether it is queer, uh, sexually fluid, uh, mostly straight, you know, we're finding out that, um, in, in sexuality is this broad, diverse category and that everybody has their own one unique flavor. It's not just 31 flavors. It's like 31,000 yeah. flavors. So I, I think that, this is changing in society and a stigma towards bisexuality and stigma towards bisexual males especially is decreasing largely because um, gay males and male homosexuality has become more acceptable mm -hmm. and, and something we're hearing and thinking about and seeing more in the media. I think this is something that's going to change. Now, one of the things that I think is really interesting is that there are lots and lots of women out there who prefer to watch gay male pornography because they really love the idea of watching two hot guys kiss and have sex. Um, so, you know, this is a trend that's changing. Um, and I don't know what it's going to look like in five or 10 years, but I'm really excited to see. What about yeah. you, Wendy? What do you think about sexual fluidity? I think about it in terms of love. I'm sorry my voice is so like doing this, but you know, when I think about loving some, somebody, I don't think that that's gender specific. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that when people really just tap into sort of their capacity for intimacy, that's where it gets really fluid. Um, and I think that David's right that, um, that it, that, that, that those things are changing and opening, um, especially in the millennial generation. Um, and, uh, and so I think he's right that, you know, over the next five, 10, 20 years, our ideas of gender normative stuff are going to be a lot different than they are right now. Totally. Uh, and yeah. Dr. Sherry, you wanted to add yeah, to that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's been really <clears throat> nice to see the newer generations much more open to sexuality, less judgmental. And it seems like being gay or being bisexual is is really not uh, that shocking anymore. And I think as more role models come out in our, the gay community, uh, just normalizes everything. And I th I'm really excited about that in our future and how we're em embracing diversity. Do you think there's more um, acceptance and conversation just about, I mean, you, you hear the word vagina on TV a lot more. Do you think that's kind of helping or do you think people are still a little insecure about that? Oh, I think, it, you know, vagina is still not really mainstream. And, you know, coming out with this book, it's been really interesting to see mainstream media not like saying the word vagina mm. on TV. Uh, it comes with a lot of resistance and... You can say erectile dysfunction, no problem. Right, right, right. You can have commercials but about it. You cannot say the word vagina. It's still, you know, the morning shows, forget it. Yeah. So I don't. I haven't seen that needle been moved much, but I, I think the narrative should change. And the newer generation, you know, we're, we're seeing the more sort of more out there, younger generation of people being more open-minded. And I like it. Absolutely. Okay, here's another question for you. Do guys really have a G-spot? 
for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, no, I'm not aware that they do. I mean, certainly women do, at uh-huh. least uh, if you have to search for it, but it does exist if, okay. you, if you really make a good search. Uh, but I am unaware that men truly have a G-spot. What, what do you think, uh, you know, David? Zach, this um, is uh, this is really kind of uh, uh, talking about prostate stimulation, right? Um, and that you know there uh, there are sex toys that men use for anal stimulation that stim- stimulates the prostate. There are some, and I'm sure Sherry can tell us a lot more about this. There are some suggestions that female ejaculation or the female uh, G-spot, you know, relates to a prostate kind of tissue that is, uh, right. that is in, the, in the vagina. Exactly. So that, that stimulation feels good for men um, if they are comfortable with anal stimulation. But then that brings up the whole conversation we were having before about, you know, uh, does a guy who likes his ass getting played with, does that make him gay? Um, we can have so much better sex if we can get past some of those fears and shames. Yeah, absolutely. Wendy, do you think guys have a G-spot? Um, you know, one of the things that was astonishing to me when I first learned about female anatomy, mm-hmm. clitoral anatomy, because I really, until I was in my 40s, didn't know that the clitoris was more than just that little spot on the top of my vagina. And I would have these deep, like, spasms of joy when I would be stimulated. I didn't understand, like I said, until, you know, this whole clitoral truce and the whole legs of the vagina and all that stuff became more commonly known. And that was not that long ago that we became really cognizant and that women were educated. And many women still are not educated about their own anatomy. But mm-hmm. but when I started to learn about that and you see how men's sexual anatomy and female sexual anatomy are so similar. They're so much more similar than they are different when you start to look at that clitoral system. And so I know in my own marriage, and, you know, I don't want to go too much into detail, that I know that the things that turn me on, the places that I, they're the same spots in him. Yeah, I think we all have, yeah, we all have different buttons and we all have to kind of, yeah, absolutely. I think we all have different buttons and it comes with self-exploration and having that open dialogue with, with our partners. Thank you guys so much for, for calling in or for being here. Um, I really appreciate it. I think we covered a lot of really good questions and there was some diversity, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think a a core was that, you know, there, there needs to be an open dialogue. So thank you guys for calling in. Dr. Sherry's book is called Sheology, the definitive guide to women's health, to women's intimate health, period. David's book is called Ethical Porn for Dicks, a man's guide to responsible viewing. And Wendy's book is called Sex That Works, an intimate guide to awakening your erotic life. All three great books that touch, that touch on three different topics that I think we all need to start to learn more about. So thank you all for thank coming you, in today. And I appreciate it. Send me more questions Thanks, if you guys Zach. have them. Thanks a lot, Zach. Thank you, David. Thank Thanks you guys again. for listening Thanks, to Zach. Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. Don't forget to subscribe and listen to us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, thenetworkstudios.com, iHeartRadio. We are just growing. So don't forget to subscribe, tune in, and don't forget to follow me at Just Plain Zach across all social media platforms. You can follow Wendy at Wendy Sturgar on Twitter or at Good Clean Love. Dr. Sherry, what's your handle? Uh, at Dr. Sherry R. At Dr. Sherry R. And David, what's your handle? 
At Dr. David Lee. At Dr. David Lee. Tweet us all your questions and get ready because Summer of Sexy is just getting hotter. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Bye. Yeah.